0: Hello, and welcome to the Vulnerability Junkies podcast. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jamie. On this podcast, we talk about the scary, vulnerable parts of our personal and professional growth, our identities as second-generation Asian Canadians, and talking about our feelings.
1: Are you more motivated by warm, positive encouragement, or having a drill sergeant yell at you? In today's episode, Kevin gives an update on
0: his journey processing, integrating, and embodying more compassionate self-talk and giving himself the space to have more fun in life. Let's get into it.
1: What's up? (laughs) How's it going today, Kevin? Good. Just another one of those days. We were chatting before, and I reached this moment of something really an epiphany, just like, like, gratitude like i felt genuine yeah. not forced gratitude for things being pretty good okay before we get into the subject matter though how are you feeling today oh yeah i am emotionally like a seven to eight physically like a six
0: what's the flavor of the seven
1: or eight good word i know ah uh, yeah I'm trying to put my finger on it i'm giddy Ooh. yeah it's like a little jittery but not to the point where i'm bouncing off the walls and excited and yeah happy and in this moment content yeah which in my mind resolves to giddy excellent i mean i feel like
0: in this moment is the only really relevant time for how you're feeling anyway that's fair yeah
1: that's fair how about you
0: emotionally i'm at like uh a, a seven yeah definitely feeling grateful about the general benefits of emotional co-regulation whenever i hang out with you i always like calm down and Just feel more at peace it's very nice and physically i'm at like a five i think on the whole i'm okay but i'm a little sleepy and i have a headache which in combination is not particularly fun but it's also not actively distracting so i'm just uh looking forward to kind of slowly seeping into the conversation nice said some good words there peace emotional regulation emotional co-regulation
1: oh wow
0: even better yeah. All right, so let's get back to this epiphany
1: of yours, what was going up? So to the topic of today. For the last five months or so. I think over several other episodes, I've talked about how my inner dialogue with myself, for the most part, is incredibly unkind and pretty toxic and like emotionally abusive. <laughs> and just it's all kind of like come together as I've spent more time reflecting on this, talking about it in therapy. Um, to this convergence point of wanting to be kinder to myself and getting to a place where I'm like, s- seeing that I'm starting to internalize it and actually exhibit that. And one way that my therapist framed this process around like how you grow from therapy, which is this process of, well, first processing things that you're going through or traumas roughly, and then progressing towards this intermediary stage of integrating and then ultimately getting getting to a place where you can embody the learnings. So anyway, that's been top of mind um, yeah. lately. Yeah, what I'm hearing is
0: this like really intent to of becoming more kind to yourself, which uh, I mean, is, it's amazing to me. I think for most of the time that I've known you, not only did I think of you as someone that like fed off this kind of dark self, this, this kind of dark self frustration energy or like feeling of inadequacy. But beyond feeding off of that for most of the time I've known you, I had the sense that you almost wore that as a badge of pride. And the fact that you held it that way for so long makes it that much more inspiring to me that you've come to directly confront that, that self belief and start to recognize that, even though this has been a core part of my identity for a long time, it's okay to change that. And it's okay to confront some of these beliefs, even in recognizing like the, to start to go through this journey of like first processing by, by recognizing these patterns, then integrating by starting to think about what new patterns might look like. And then, yeah, the, the idea of eventually becoming default kind to yourself instead of attacking yourself or, or like putting yourself down or trying to motivate with, with criticism is incredible. Like the, the, the idea of trying to go through that sounds like a lot of work and super valuable, but especially, I think this kind of work is, is especially hard to communicate how difficult it is. So I wanted to affirm that like I have seen the way that you communicate to yourself change over time, at least the way you talk about
1: communicating to yourself.
0: Uh, and want to recognize how much work that is. And I'm really glad you're doing
1: it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I do think it's, I know that it's a, definitely just a net positive thing to do. Which is, yeah, I think to, maybe it's interesting to unpack, like you were saying, I totally agree that it's, it has been very difficult, but in maybe a lot of unintuitive ways. Because in theory, if you look at it on a paper, it's like, okay, one way of going about the world is you yell at yourself all the time and you're miserable. And like, that's how you get your motivation. Or you could try to find joy and fun in the process and just have a much better time. And you look at that and you're like, yes, clearly that's better. We should just do that. And you're like, so why can't you just flip a switch? You know, it just makes so much sense. If given the, Once you're able to rationalize these two things, why would you ever choose the former, right? But it actually has been really hard, I think. Well, the processing bit is it's hard in the therapy way where you have to confront your Mm -hmm. own fears and confront your own inadequacies and Mm -hmm. dig up past trauma and memories. There was a lot of, like, definitely a lot of fear and a lot of, like... Just it's like the unknown, right? It's like you got, It's like that you're just afraid to look at your, all these flaws you might have. Like you'd look in the mirror, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then beyond that, you have to go back in time and look at the mirror that like across like a, a time horizon. And like also start to, for me, like recognize the ways that my parents had like the best intentions. Yeah. But like between how they were communicating it, between how I was interpreting it, it just kind of got twisted in a way yeah which for me the the most specific example around this case is that i guess my my parents were immigrants um definitely things were hard growing up and i think their bottom line was always just survival and making sure that everyone was baseline okay and that there was always food on the table things like that and so their mindset was always just like you need to work really hard to like make sure that you're going to be okay and your future is secure and so the focus, what I saw growing up was just they were working all the time. I think my dad first had me like start reading books about time management when I was like eight Whoa. or nine years old, things like that, right? And then like one key inflection point was at some point up until grade six or so, I would say I was like kind of a, like a very mediocre slash borderline bad student in school. And at some point they decided, all right, it's time for this kid to like get his butt into shape. Mm. So they sat me down and they kind of had this coaching session with me where they like explained that, you know, this is, it is, it is possible for you to excel in school and get good grades and we're going to show you. And what they did was they sat me down and they coached me through this process. Like I remember that, that year in seventh grade, we had this one really year-long research project that was, like, a big part of our mark. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we are going to crush this assignment. <laughs> and then here's how you're going to do it. And they just, like, sat me down, drew up a huge timeline of how, like, like we marked down the key dates. We, like, you know, did all, like, the, the good student things, I guess. Like, you, like, you plan backwards from the due dates. We, like, sat down and, like, broke out the the rubric and we're like all right what what would a hundred percent be and then we would like more we would add we would add to the rubric essentially and be like okay this so based on this rubric this is a hundred percent what would 110 percent look like and then we wrote we, we had our own criteria that was more intense and then we're like we're gonna shoot for that wow um yeah and so it was like just this rigorous very intense like multiple drafts multiple reviews we're gonna rigorously prepare and knock it out of the park and I did um, and so that was kind of a, a key cementing moment for me but that's like that was interestingly enough like I always thought of that as like a great like eye-opening moment of oh, this is how you work hard mm. um, but that was also kind of the seed that started this this idea that like you need to set goals that are like you need to shoot for 110% mm-hmm. in order to guarantee success and also the, the more I don't want to say sinister, but the more, um, the more interesting thought that got planted there is that like, there was a formula that you can follow to essentially remove the possibility of failure. And one of the key components of this is that I got really used to that the ability to like work, like the, the coupling, the tight coupling of being able to work hard in this way. Where you just push yourself to the max and beyond, it also means that you don't have to be afraid of the possibility of failure anymore. And I think in school that was true, but then once I left school and that little sandbox environment, that entire framework just like fell off a cliff. Essentially, interesting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot to <laughs> tease apart in yeah this this. Ex- I mean, I guess one of looking at this experiment that um, your parents like helped you helped you run, and I mean helped you run is maybe pretty a little lightly, like pushed you down, pushed you down this, this, um, this path. It does sound like you were able to take a lot of positive lessons in it and recognizing that you at least had the capacity to work really hard and that in some circumstances, working really hard does change results. Like uh, this helped see yourself for the first time as a, as a really good student. And even if that wasn't like a permanent identity thing, it at least showed, showed you that you had the capacity. Um, and that sounds... Pretty powerful maybe let's just start start there and then we'll start to tease apart more things but do you think it's true that that was one of the first times where you were able to to like have this clear self-perception as a good student
1: yeah i think it did wonders for my like at least in the short term even though in hindsight i view it as like this foundation that is built on like like a straw where it's like in this very controlled sandbox environment it does in fact work like when your environment where you're literally given a rubric that defines this is what 100% means then you can optimize the crap out of it and then just work really hard towards that goal in this systematic way follow the algorithm so to speak and then you will be successful within that the confines of that I think it did wonders for my like sense of self confidence Mm -hmm. ego because it gave me this sense that like oh yes I am a very competent person or I can be a very competent person. So I can imagine arriving at that in
0: two pretty different paths. One one is the more encouraging path of of like, hey, we really believe you can do this. It does require hard work, but like we really believe that like that you have this in you that, that like all of the necessary pieces are really at your disposal. And that perspective actually sounds like it can be quite healthy and more aligned with the kind of self kindness directed growth. That I think you're moving towards now, but it sounds like somehow along the way, you learned a very different lesson than that created more of this like negative feedback loop as I think what you view for quite a while as a necessary component of growth so beyond just like charting this course and showing you the possibility like what do you think in that experience created this this perception that you needed the negative reinforcement
1: Yeah, I think it was the Kind of the way that the lessons were delivered. I don't know if this is a cultural thing, maybe, but definitely, definitely a big part of the upbringing that I had, my parents being Chinese was just like this idea of like in Chinese, the characters are roughly like your like ability to like eat bitterness Oh yeah, or eat hardship is like, it's just like presented as the way that you mm. succeed or like the way that you differentiate yourself or the way that you become better than your peers. It's like presented Mm -hmm. as strict, it's it's Mm -hmm. directly proportional to the amount of suffering you go through. And that's just how it was like framed.
0: I see. So it wasn't just showing you that it was possible. It was that another lesson that was delivered in parallel is that the way to do this is to increase your tolerance for suffering.
1: That was the conclusion that I kind of stitched together over time. That Mm. like, if the two are correlated, then that means if i push on one then in theory the other one also goes up right like the motivating fuel to to grind really hard Mm -hmm. was that yeah like it's going to be hard it's going to be tough but the more you push through the better the results so so i mean if if you had the opportunity
0: to like go back and reshape that experience to talk to childhood you and you still wanted little kevin to walk away with the this understanding you can reach much further than you thought you could without embodying this perception that the only way to do that is to suffer what would you have wanted to say to him
1: I think it would have advocated for balance the counterbalance that I see that I that I would have wanted that I didn't have was just like an appreciation for or the ability to let myself have fun as well Mm. versus being in this constant work grind suffering mode and that was definitely something that was foreign I think to my parents And that definitely showed up in how I was raised as a kid as well. There was like a lot of times where like, I don't know, I did the classic, like, I like to play video games and stuff. And like, that was always just framed as like, being bad. Mm. Like there was a a element of guilt, guilt or maybe like small amounts of shame associated Mm -hmm. with doing things that I found fun. I would get kind of like smacked on the wrist and yelled at every, like, every time that I like wanted to like, have fun essentially. Mm-hmm. and between like yeah playing video games for too long going out hanging out with friends and stuff like that was something that my parents always like it's more intense than discouraged they would just like i got punished for doing that kind mm-hmm. of where i would be yelled at for like why don't you like focus on work instead and be more productive like these things are a waste of time like fun is a waste of time essentially and that's something that persists that that idea really took root and like grew because like you might have heard me say this in past podcast episodes like I'm bad at having fun like yes. I struggle to not feel guilt when I take time to just hang out with people or to like watch a movie or watch shows and stuff like that and that still persists today so it's the combination of those things um, and I think one thing is definitely I would have wanted to go back and just tell little Kevin like hey it's, it's okay to have fun like you should seek that out it's definitely recharging and helps you stay yeah. in the game for longer and it's kind of a better way of pursuing excellence Like we've talked about this a lot yeah. actually this idea that like all the people that are like the best in the world at what they do one big part of it is is that they love doing those things yeah and that there's like this intrinsic motivation that like is a positive feedback loop that just fuels itself over time and that's what allows them to dedicate so many hours, like, I guess in theory, like, obviously there's ups and downs every day, but yeah, so that, that, that it's, it's self-sustaining and it's just net, like over a long time horizon, like more effective too. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like the, one of the really poisonous things you learned success and achievement sits in opposition to having fun. Yes. And I can see how that kind of would really drive like a negative feedback loop where, as soon as you start reaching for f- the the act of pursuing the fun feels like antithetical to achievement.
1: Mhm. Uh, and it sounds like that is something that you're trying to intentionally reshape. Yeah. Exactly. I think finding the fun is a in my mind a big part of this new newer model, the new kinder happy model that I'm trying to to adopt where, you know, we do things because they bring us joy or like finding the joy in self-actualization and watching myself grow as opposed to being incredibly outcome driven and then like setting deadlines and like needing to push against those deadlines. Like one thing that I've been reflecting on also is that like all these things that I just described, like deadlines, pressure, et cetera, they're all kind of extrinsic things that only really need to be applied if you fundamentally don't trust yourself to do it in the first place, like intrinsically. And I realized that that's kind of what, that was my parents' perception of me they're like by default this kid just wants to go and chill and have fun and like mess around basically mm-hmm. and they're like which is true I'm not gonna lie like i'm a fundamentally a pretty fun loving person <laughs> yeah and from their perspective they're like but no he needs to work hard and like grind and you know? otherwise he's gonna like fail in life essentially right and so their tools were deadlines pressure chastising etc and then over time that was just I embodied it now right like the my my that's my parent in my inner voice now right like mirrors a lot of my parental voices growing up
0: yeah the, this reminds me of an insight that i had sometime in the middle of of high school where i kind of looked around at a lot of my peers and started to recognize that the people with the really strict high pressure applying parents they all did pretty well at school but none of them did amazing so i i, I started to have this perception that this kind of this kind of pressure application it works but in a sense it decreases how bad things can get and mm-hmm. that like if you like, i think that as a mobile if you remove a lot of like a lot of distractions a lot of things that that are fun and you like really apply pressure the kids will probably be unhappy but they probably will actually get their work done mm-hmm. so it, it it's like quite effective at avoiding some of the worst outcomes in terms of the kids like just not being able to advance at school at all, not being able to develop a necessary work ethic to hold a job. But it also caps their ability to pursue their intrinsic interests, which is where they would be able to truly excel. And I, th- I think that like you, you do kind of see this in different cultural elements and that like I think that this this kind of Asian cultural influence is quite effective at getting people to stability. But I think it also and, and like occasionally I think it works out just because the pressure's coming from the parents just happened to align with the intrinsic interests anyway. Mm -hmm. But there were so many instances in thinking back to peers in high school, I could tell that like the really strict applications that their parents were trying to push them down, which they did not align with their intrinsic interests, Mm -hmm. so they were kind of stuck.
1: Yeah. like it's frustrating really fast.
0: Yeah. Now that I'm saying this out loud, like I'm like, I have done this to myself in a weird way. There, There are things I noticed, like I'm intrinsically pulled towards and I'm kind of walling those off. For myself because it's like not necessarily in the direction of growth that i want um it's like hard to find the balance of aligning those things of like how do you align the kind of growth that you, you intrinsically want with the kinds of methodologies or like domains that you have intrinsic interest in
1: what's uh what's an example
0: so like i think that i have a very intrinsic desire to become comfortable in a broader set of social settings but a lot of the activities that i find intrinsically motivating are more either more solitary or at least it's more time spent with the people that I already know very very well and like not really pushing my, my comfort zone there mm. um, and some of those things it's not just like that they're easy like I, I'm willing to do challenging things like I have intrinsic motivation to to, to have fun doing things that I find challenging but was, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding things that are fun and expand in this specific direction so I think that like following intrinsic interest was really helpful to me up to a point where getting better at that thing like, did noticeably continue to improve my quality of life. And I think it wasn't until sometime after graduating university that I started to recognize that just pursuing the fun aspects, to me, was going to cap my growth in directions that I think would have limited my life quite significantly. And even though, like, even though I still do believe that finding the place for fun in my life is really important, I think i've always come to recognize that there are some things in life that i worked very hard at that were not particularly fun i'm very grateful that i did so i'm trying to find a way to reconcile those two beliefs both having experienced the kind of growth that was like i just did a thing that was fun for like six years and it worked out great and it was really good with also the recognition of there are four or five things in my life that were extremely painful to get through and i'm very glad that i did them so i'm curious as, as you've been reconciled, both your own growth that was that was aided by the kind of parental guidance and starting now to figure out ways of, of re-guiding yourself or re-parenting yourself almost with this more fun direction, like how you have changed how you think about growth because of that.
1: I think it all just really comes back to the balance where it's like too much of a good thing is bad. And the one hand, it's like if you only do the things that are fun and comfortable, All the time, probably gonna become like a potato. You're not gonna do that much growing, right? (laughs) On the flip side, what I was what I was expressing was just like seeking out hardship for the sake of it and seeking out that pain. The healthy version is probably something just like grit and determination, and like in the face of this pain and resistance, it doesn't mean that you immediately run away and that you do push against it, right? I think for me, the the key was that like i would literally seek out these painful experiences like you know taking dance classes that are clearly like two to three x (laughs) beyond my level (laughs) just to force the reality of the of the gap between where i am and where i wanted to be like in front of my face all the time basically saying like this is the gap you suck you suck you suck you suck
0: yeah i really like the framing of balance and man i've talked at so many points in my life about how balance is important to me forget every once in a while and I feel like I'm right now in a period of forgetting it where I'm not investing enough into things that are just fun and in ways where like it's, it's not about oh but what is this fun build towards it's just like no it's, it's fun like just do the thing that's fun that's fun
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, so it's a helpful reminder another thing that I was curious about to poke at a little more to understand so given that most of your life you've had this really strong motivational mechanism um, of negative reinforcement and you're trying to move towards one of positive reinforcement how did you motivate yourself to make that transition were you able to use positive reinforcement to make that transition because we talked about how that transition is a lot of work and it's hard yeah so like what kind of motivation did you use to make the transition from one motivational tool to the other it's a good
1: question i think the way that i rationalized it was just that it's just so obvious to me at least logically that the my old existing way of doing things is just so bad just like so suboptimal in so many ways yeah but then it's mm. unfortunately not as simple as oh i recognize that it's better and then i immediately change because it's right. very very deeply rooted and it's just so ingrained in so many ways and so this may be an interesting point to like talk a bit about the second phase which yeah. is the integration right which roughly is like there's part of you that knows the old way really well and it, it trusts it right it's like the whole like better the devil you know than the one that you don't know right it's more it's it it's it might be suboptimal but at least it's comfortable you know about it the unknown is scary because it could be better or worse you have no idea you can imagine it it might take a little bit of time you kind of have to like gradually let your your mind and your body like familiarize itself with the new model you kind of have to like test it out and in practice the way that i've been experiencing is that i just kind of have these like existential crisis kind of moments where I'll, I'll start leaning into, trying to lean into some of these more healthier practices of giving myself encouragement and be patient with myself, giving myself time to just, oh man, like maybe I was planning to like write a YouTube script, for example, but today I'm just really, really tired and I can't muster it up, the focus or the strength to do it. Instead of yelling at myself, being like, wow, like why do you suck? Why can't you just do this thing? Mm." Um, just like giving myself space, like, okay, yeah, you know, it's just, you're not lying to yourself. Like you're just not feeling it today. So go rest up. It sounds like you need to rest. Go do that. And like, we'll come back again, get it tomorrow. Like that kind of, when those moments happen, it's really scary. Cause even as I'm describing it now, there's a part of my brain that's like, wait, like we know how to succeed and, and do good work. Mm. And it's to push like no mm. excuses. Like you said, you said it today we were going to do this. We need to do it. Like, you know, and then there's this kind of fight. Then now I like recognizing, hey, this is the old voice. Like, let's try out the new thing, mm-hmm. even though it seems really scary because we've never really done the new thing before. And in the short term, it just feels like I'm slacking. Yeah. I'm just letting this deadline slip and it feels like I'm just slacking. Um, and so where I'm at right now is like that's kind of my integration process, that, that conflict between the, the old model and the new model. And just like, I have to actively fight myself because it's, it's really scary to try the new thing. Because in the back of your mind is, wait, if we like try out the new thing and it doesn't work, then we'll have wasted time. And that's, that's really antithetical to the, to the overall goal, right? So this conflict happens repeatedly. It's not like it happens once it gets resolved and then I let myself try it and then it's all good. It's kind of like you have to relearn the thing over and over again and it'll manifest like in different ways every like week in a new domain, in a new setting it'll come up similarly. So Yeah. Well, yeah. This is very relatable. I think that
0: the the phase you're talking about now, this integration step, recognizing the old way, it has problems, but still not fully accepting and fully, fully believing that the new method is better mm-hmm. is really scary. Because I like before when you're mentioning this whole idea of doubly know versus devil don't know, I think that I was I was like feeling it In the more abstract sense, of like, yeah, you know, you don't know the new things. For something as fundamental as motivation to do things, letting go of the old way I now can more viscerally feel is because even though you know the problems with it, even though you can see ways in which old patterns have made you unhealthy or unhappy, you also have some sense of how bad things can get. Like, you know what the floor looks like. You know that like, even though there's like a lot of up and down, even though you have a sense that things could be better, you know it's it's. You know how bad things can get when they're as bad as they, they can. And it might be that that's an acceptable level of bad, right? You able to accept what the lowest lows look like under that mode of operation, mm-hmm. but you have no idea what the lowest lows look like with the new mode of operation. Exactly. And that, that I mean that that could be like in, in like a you know a day to day sense, but it also could be like in a year to year sense. Like the idea of applying this like kindness, the self kindness methodology for like a couple of years, then for me anyway, I would have this deep fear of like, what if I didn't do anything in those years? What if I look back yeah. on those two years? Like I am not where I want to be.
1: Yeah. You could, the risk is that, like, you'll look back and like, man, I wasted those years.
0: Right. Yeah. So how are you managing the fear that comes with that uncertainty?
1: It's really hard. I think you focus on fighting the individual instances of the battle. I think every time you, it comes up, the conflict comes up, you get stressed out, you kind of just revisit everything that you processed, revisit all of these things that you know conceptually to be true, mm. and then it takes a boatload of courage to be willing to risk it, right? Like, I think from the processing and from talking to people and from rationalizing, that's what gives you the conviction that we think this is, like for me, that pursuing a motivational model that is predicated on kindness and patience and self-love essentially seems strictly better and then from there you just have to kind of hold on to that to like fight the individual like micro conflict of however it's manifesting right and that's kind of what i focus on just like yeah believing in a way that it that it's by living it out truly that it it over the a long time horizon it'll it'll be net positive in day to day these micro
0: battles you're talking about
1: mm-hmm.
0: i think what you're saying is that in the moment of those conflicts you have to reach back for some kind of deep conviction deep belief and i think for what you're saying at the moment is that is this recognition of how much wasted energy there is in taking the the like self-attack approach to motivation
1: yeah i guess like to maybe be a little more precise i, I there's two caveats one is that these micro conflicts i don't always win them hmm sometimes I regress into my old patterns mm-hmm. and those moments where it's like, man, should I like just give myself space to relax and recover? Sometimes I'll just be like, no, I got I've like I've, maybe I've done it twice in a row already. Like we got to We got to go. Yeah, we got to push today. And I think the other key and this is, again, part of, of the integration process where I mentioned that your body just needs to test and see what happens. I think a lot of the the process is also, like, letting yourself, also letting yourself lose, quote-unquote, those battles sometimes. And just watching what happens. Because the thought is, like, oh, like, I, I don't think I need to recover. Like, I think I can just push through and that would be better. Mm. And then, all right, go. Try pushing through and see what happens. And, I mean, you can be genuine about it, too. Like, in hindsight, yeah. I have the benefit of hindsight and knowing that, like, that leads to burnout. Yeah. But then, like, if truly this part of you that wants to verify, then just go forth and see if you burn out. And just have the awareness to check in on that. For me, this thought of this new path has entered the realm of my conception for maybe like five months. And it's fighting against a practice that has been trained for like 15 years, you know? So it's a 15-year-old versus a five-month-old. It's like, it's going to take some time for me to really invest in building up this new, new, kinder voice before it can really, you know, compete on even footing with the the not so healthy voice, and eventually, you know, win.
0: Yeah. yeah. What's coming up for me in describing this? Like, I have this like picture in my head where it's not just these two different forces in you that are fighting. It's not just about like, do I use positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, and then 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 like these halves of you fighting each other. It's actually like these are these are each parts of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But crucially, there's another part of you that is the observer. Yeah. That can be like, you know, they like these two. I don't know why I'm picturing this, but I'm picturing these like these two little kids that are like arguing over which way to, to go. And then there's like the parent, and the parent could just like take sides, but alternatively the parent can be like, all right, like this time we're gonna do what what like this kid wants and you're both gonna do it together and I'm gonna come with you, but I want you to pay attention to what's happening like and like to remember what happens here. So I kind of like that model because it, it means that you can still have this kind of growth without like 100% compliance in either direction as long as you're able to retain clear memories and reflections on where those different paths led you. And then it's just about getting enough experience going down different paths to, to, have an, to build actual conviction on like which tools are useful in, in different settings. Yeah. Which, yeah, I really like. And that definitely mimics my experiences in growing in a lot of different things. I'm trying to push for like 100% compliance in anything is usually recipe for, for burnout and honestly like internal resentment because if you if you like switch from one of these little kids being the leader to suddenly the other one being the leader then like it's going to yield resentment and it's, it's just really hard to get your internal systems to suddenly do that whereas if you take like an approach of like look we're just going to experiment doing it this way like half the time and then those each of those half times you do each direction we're just going to like pay attention to what happens and then when we're done that we can decide like okay which one of those was actually better which one of those is actually more fun on like a multi-month, multi-year time horizon. And uh, So I think that the, the key thing that I'm taking away here is the really important thing is you have to let yourself gather data. You have to do things at least enough to build up enough experience to draw upon when faced with novel situations. But it's not about like, I need to suddenly switch into this new mode.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think for me, it's ironically very meta where it's like, You know, we talked about how the the old bad voice is the one that's like very pressuring, very demanding. You can ironically also be very pressuring and very demanding of, like, I must be patient, I must be kind. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It is a funny thing to think about. Like
0: forcing yourself to always be kind to yourself is just another another form of pressure.
1: Exactly. Yeah, because really, the the what you're aiming for is to like let your body learn yeah. that there's a better way. And sometimes it involves like letting it like experiment with the the painful or the suboptimal path. Yeah. It's also helpful to for the other way, right? For you know a little bit of humility here. Um it's also good to check your assumptions. Cause you know, you could have high conviction in the wrong thing. Yeah. And this process like also lets you show yourself when you're wrong. It's kind of neat.
0: I look forward to hearing more about your reflections once you edge towards the embodiment stage because it sounds like right now you're kind of in the thick of the integration
1: yeah for sure there's like so many conflicts that that are coming up um when you know it's friday night and you have the option of working harder or going to hang out with like friends there's definitely a part strong voice in my head that's like man normal people they would be hanging out but if you cannot do what normal people do and hang out And instead work harder that's what'll make you excel which it's interesting that i actually like logically think that that's kind of true you need to sacrifice in order to achieve extraordinary results um but i think for me now that it's it's like a layer deeper than that of do i actually want to do this (laughs) do i feel motivated in the moment to uh work a little harder today on my youtube channel or on editing a podcast or is part of me really screaming out for, hey, I'm like burnt out, I need to like go recharge. That's the kind of the state of my integration where like I have, I can have those moments with myself now. I also used to not trust myself to, I used to not trust the answers that I gave to myself. Cause I was like, what if I'm lying to myself? Mm-hmm. What if I'm just like telling myself, oh yeah, like I'm tired so that like, I can go hang out with, um, with friends and like it's a cop out. That's yeah. also something that was like ingrained into me from my parents actually. Because again, they never trusted that I would actually sit down and work hard of my own accord. And they were always asking like, are you tired right now? Or are you just like running away from doing work? Because yeah. I had that as a kid where I was like, man, I'm really tired. I don't want to do work right now. I'm really tired. I want to take a nap. Yeah. And they would question that. Right. And that's like, I'm making that connection right now, actually. But like, that's also where it comes from. So Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think
0: for me, when I'm in a level headset, that I think that's i'll I'll do the thing where like I just tried doing it for five minutes, and then if the answer is actually I'm really tired and I'm burned burnt out, then after the five minutes of actually doing it, I will still have the same answer and and then at that point, I think it's it, crucially I will actually let myself not work anymore mm-hmm. and then sometimes I discover like, oh actually, I'm not that tired, I was just distracted, and then once I focus, I'm fine nice The, the other thing I wanted to to reflect on I've heard that quote about um in order to ext- achieve extraordinary outcomes, you need extraordinary methods. I think that's true, but I think that one pe- one thing that people dramatically underestimate how much how extraordinary it is to have small consistent effort over a very long spans of time. Yes, I think the time thing is key because I think that what people usually view that with the, with the the only lens they view it through is you need intensity, you need maximum intensity, right, in this one moment, right, like. In order for you to be extraordinary, you need to to work out for this three months, like 12 hours a day. Right. But the reality is if you do like an hour, like an hour, three times a week for for like five years, that's that can also yield extraordinary results because it is legitimately extraordinary because most people quit. Yeah. So sometimes all it means to be extraordinary is to not quit and Mm -hmm. do intentional practice. I like that. And the combination of not quitting and intentional practice can yield really impressive outcomes. Kind of frustrating because usually those impressive outcomes don't come until five or six years down the road.
1: Maybe that's why the patience thing works out. As long as you're patient with yourself, give yourself space. It also gives you the room to keep going. And then I think I like that a lot, actually.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to... When I said over a long period of time, intentional practice... I do think that both ingredients are really important. Mm-hmm. And I think people misunderstand both of these things. I think like on the one side, people are like I have to do like the most intense training program as possible, which I don't think is guided from a healthy place. And I don't think it's the only way of achieving results. On the other side, people be like, oh, I seem to like do the normal the normal thing mm. um, and just like go about my, my regular day without having to think about it too hard. I think that's also wrong mm-hmm. because I think without the intentional reflection, and like this is the intentional intentional practice you also don't really grow like i, th- I think for instance like doing an, an hour badminton training like three times a week for a couple of years you'll get really really good if you're doing training
1: mm-hmm. but
0: i I played for like i don't know probably five or six hours a week for like a couple of years and i probably got like marginally better mm. because i wasn't intentionally practicing mm. but i think that if i had intentionally practiced for the same amount of hours it honestly probably would have been less fun so i know why i didn't do that it's also to say that i think that you need both of these ingredients to have these kind of extraordinary outcomes.
1: Yeah, it's coming up for me now is a related thing that I thought of that is related to this whole negative self-talk thing, which is as part of the framework that my parents taught me for how to be successful within the school system, is I was being very accustomed to this idea that there is a right answer, and I still subconsciously seek that in everything that I do today. There is a, some definition of like the right or the best. YouTube video there is like a version of me like Kevin the product manager I work that is like the right and the best version that I subconsciously my my framing of progression is to seek that thing that that best uh-huh. version and I beat myself up a lot this is the negative self-talk part like yeah. when I can't find that that the right quote-unquote answer like the equivalent of a hundred percent or 110 percent when I can't find it I beat myself up a lot. And one thing that my friend was telling me over the weekend was this in outside of a sandboxed environment like school, mm-hmm. there is only ever better. There's mm. no there's no semblance of uh the right answer or the best answer. It's really just increments on a spectrum of betterness. And that's all you can really seek on a yeah, day-to-day basis, just like to be a little bit better than you were before. And I think also Another
0: facet I think that school unhelpfully instills in us is that improvement is single-dimensional. That that like what better means is a higher score in this one number. Whereas it's not just that that like uh, the number 100 is meaningless in the real world. It's that it stops being one number. And that like right. Kevin as a PM is this extremely multidimensional progression paths. And that being better one day might mean writing more concisely and communicating your ideas. And another day might be learning how to listen deeply to one of your coworkers and encourage them. And those, those are both like directions of growth that are like almost completely unrelated or just like, you know, just showing up and just being a happier version of you in a way that is infectious to other people it can be another direction. I think it's helpful to keep in mind there are many kinds of better as well. It's not, it's not just that there is no good, there's only better. It's that there's many
1: kinds of better. It's true. You go from being relatively unidimensional to, like, a very complicated, multivariate situation. Yeah. So, like, I
0: mean, one way in which that might actually manifest in showing up at work is when you, when you have that frustration, like, man, like, I can't show up as, like, good Kevin or even, like, better Kevin. You can think of, like, what form can I show up in today that is still, that I can still be proud of.
1: mm yeah, I like that. I guess, like, to pull that a little further, like, oftentimes that thought of I'm not showing up as the better version of myself, that manifests as, like, along a single dimension, we are maybe not showing up as, as good as we could be. But, like, also pay attention to all the other dimensions.
0: Right. So, for instance,
1: if... Like, uh, in the past,
0: I have seen coworkers, like, show up in a way that they just, like, weren't not as energetic as normal. Mm-hmm. But on those days, they might, for instance, say, like, hey, like, I'm... I'm really tired today and just be honest about that and then in another way that's that's like showing up in a positive way that helps breed a kind of psychological safety whereas they could have just been silently grumpy the whole day <laughs> but they chose a different direction that was available to them even when the direction of be the hype man was not available.
1: Did they choose the path of vulnerability? I think they chose the path of vulnerability. Yeah. Yeah. I think that has definitely played a role in this journey for sure. I think, I it would definitely in the processing stage is would not have been able to uncover as much as I did if I wasn't willing to be open and vulnerable to like think through these things. Um, and yeah, there's definitely a little bit of it. There's a more visceral vulnerability now, and in, in the 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 fear and the opportunity cost that comes up when you're in the integrating phase um, to definitely feel vulnerable to that as well. It's like opening yourself up to the possibility of quote unquote wasting my time
0: mm-hmm.
1: or just being suboptimal in mm-hmm. my in my efficiency but yeah and as with most things with vulnerability it feels worthwhile to push through so all right man i'm extremely tired on that note yeah i think yeah we call it there i think i feel pretty yeah there's definitely more parental or childhood trauma to process but we can save that for another day
0: we have <laughs> as many episodes <laughs> as we
1: need yeah exactly
0: so how are how are you doing how are you feeling now? Physically, I'm at like a four now. I'm like really tired. Emotionally, I'm like, I think I'm at like a f- five. I think I'm a little... The this that's actually coming up is like, I feel like a little bit of, of like sorrow over not having given myself the space to, to breathe and experiment in some of these directions you're talking about. Are
1: mm-hmm. you beating yourself up right now?
0: No, I think I'm actually not. I think that I'm I'm not like upset at myself for not doing that.
1: Mm.
0: That's why it's like... it's. There's no anxiety in this. Mm. It's just like it's just sadness.
1: What does the sadness sound?
0: It's not like a, It's not like a question of like why didn't you do that in the past. It's just like I like I wish you would let yourself do that in the past.
1: Does it have flavors of like why is it taken this long, or are we just sad that it's taken this long? Or
0: yeah, it's it doesn't have the the harsh edge of of the why.
1: Mm.
0: There's no accusation in it. Mm. It's just like like I think about hopes for the future. If you think about that idea of like hopes and aspirations for someone else, and you project that into the past, and recognize that it can't happen because it's in the past, whoa the the sadness from unrealized options.
1: Oh, as in like looking back, you're like, man, I could have, I could have done this for myself. Yeah, way sooner.
0: But there's no anger in it.
1: Yeah, I get that. I think it sounds like it's like a clean, like a clean kind of it's sorrow, but it's like it's yeah. pretty clean in that way.
0: Yeah. There's, there's no like guilt or shame in it. Mm. There's no anger in it. Mm. There's just like yeah. There's just yeah. Anyway, um, I'm sure that will turn into something of an interesting discussion for a future episode. But uh, how are you how
1: are you feeling on the way out? Yeah, I'm curious to pick at that at some point. I'm imagining you looking back on like a time series of all the all the interactions that like you've had with little Jamie in the past. Just kind of like it's got like ghost of Christmas past vibes. Yeah um but yeah i feeling about the same i think I'm about like an eight now emotionally um always good to talk through things with you and you know come to new realizations as well um physically like a five or a six also sorry i'm a little tired yeah. it's getting late over here generally feeling like i'm suited up for like future future battles and micro conflicts with myself Um, yeah daring to trust myself to trust myself to trust in the process something like that and make the right calls when the when you know push comes to show i really like that phrase of
0: daring to trust
1: yeah trusting is hard you gotta it takes courage so yeah
0: all right i think that's it for us today
1: thank you for tuning in as always we'll uh see you in two weeks If you enjoyed this conversation, please help us by leaving a rating on your favorite podcast app. We would really appreciate it because it helps us grow and lets others find the show. When we're not podcasting, Kevin also makes YouTube videos. And Jamie has a blog. You can find links to these in the episode description. The intro music you heard in this episode was made by Harry Dye. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks.